Jackie will be back next week. Mm, praise God. How would you like to have a praise band like that? A 20, 20 member orchestra and 300 praise team? Yeah, you know? That's, I don't think it's like that anymore, but it, that was back in the day. Those are things you have to get used to, you know, to worship them right. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to First, first Peter, chapter 1. I'm going to spend the next three Sundays on this verse, on this section. And today I'm going to do something really strange. I'm going to read a biography um, uh, that a pastor wrote um, on his daily journal. I'm going to skip through it and just share some things with you that he pinned down. And I'm not going to tell you who it is or what the denomination it is until the end. It's a strange thing to do this, but um, in my prayers and in my time with God and, and in our time to, that we're doing so much change in our lives right now, and um, in our way we uh, worship, where we worship, how we worship, who we're worshiping. Um, it's all changing, but the steadfastness of it all is still solid. We are praising and worshiping a Savior that loved us so much that he died on the cross for us and then rose again from that terrible death and sits at the right hand today. Amen? That uh, is the, the solidness that we stand on, but it is even in shaky ground because it's a battle to maintain that. A battle to maintain that. And I want to share some things with you this morning and in the next couple of weeks about God's word and um, what it means to us. So um, as we get ready, let's pray together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can come and and worship you in unusual ways, like these videos that are, um, are valuable once they come to our heart. But um, uh, it's difficult sometimes to worship you and to think that we're doing a good job of it when we don't quite understand everything. And that's the way it is every time we open your word, Lord. We don't quite understand what it's saying, so we need, we need your guidance and your your direction and your, you know, your wisdom so that we can rejoice in everything that you say to us. I pray that you'd be with us right now. Take me out of the picture, Lord, and just use me as your servant to share whatever it is you'd have us to hear today. May our, may our, our minds stay focused and our hearts stay open to what you have for us. Be with us in this, in this time. Lord, we pray it in your son's name and for his glory. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read some of it, I guess. But I'm not going to read all of it, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to throw it at you. It's a, a young pastor who, um, he's not young anymore, this was many years ago, who was um, uh, at, a, at camp and got saved and turned his life around. And immediately he felt he was called to be a preacher. And um, um, he, he did all that he needed to do and got in the right places and followed everything and followed the, the right people and, and um, got into, some, into college. He got into college, and in college, this is what he said. 
And, and the college that he went to, and some of us would know it, but it's a name brand college. He said, there I ran into liberalism at this college. I didn't know what liberalism was at the time, but I was told such things as the Bible is a composite of things. God wasn't involved in it, and there, was, wasn't, there really wasn't someone who was named Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Luke, who wrote Luke and, uh, and John, who wrote John, all those folks didn't do that. And Moses didn't write the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. They were all put together by some priestly redactor, uh, an editor later on. It was more of a paper and paste job as the scraps were put together, talking about the Bible. Now, when I was in seminary, uh, I fought that uh, extremely, too, where I went to seminary. You had to, um, you had to fight to have Jesus Christ in the center and the focus of everything. And it came under this, um, and I believe he said it too, it comes under this title called Higher Criticism. <laughs> um, and they think that the, that's what they're saying. He says, I was told that there was no devil, nothing real about that, that Satan is just a personification of what we think evil is about. That's the way people thought back in that day. What they called demon possession was nothing more than mental illness. And then he says this, after a couple paragraphs, he says, and for a while, I bought into all this nonsense because after all, this was our school, you know? It was our school. I, I assumed that it was all right, but always in my heart, there were disquietude times because I has, was reading God's word, the Bible, and I looked down at his Bible and I would listen to what people were saying and he'd say, there's just something not right. And if you don't get the correlation and everything that I'm talking about, it's what we're dealing with today, this guy dealt with many years ago. So he went to a, one of his professors who was preaching all this stuff, and he, uh, he, um, he said to him, he said, I have a question for you, professor. And he looked at the professor and just point blankly said, um, I want to know, are you a Christian? Are you saved? And the professor looked at him and said, well, I'm certain that I'm not saved according to your definition of salvation. And he, and he says, well, what's your definition of salvation? And this was his words. He quoted him perfectly. He said, salvation is that experience where a man comes to escape the consequences of his maladjustment to everyone around him. I don't know what that means. But that's what he said. <laughs> he said, well, I'm not sure about all that. But guess what I guess I'm talking about right now is if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven or hell, do you think? And the professor looked at him and he said, I don't know where. I don't even know if there is a heaven or hell. And I've never been to either one of them. I thought, he says, I wrote, he wrote this down. He says, I thought that, you know, if some people really knew that 
they were praying or paying this man's salary to teach in this college, they would be deeply grieved, I hoped. And I began to listen, and I said to everything, everybody around me that would listen, I need to find out the truth. I want to know what God's word says, not what we want to say. So he went through college, went through college, and then several pages later he says, I left college and got into seminary. Got into seminary, and for a while it was like a breath of heaven because at least in seminary we were open our classes with prayer. It was at a Christian college, but they didn't open up with prayer. Huh. And we were studying more and more of the Word of God, and, and um, I was not taught that full-bore liberalism or evolutionaryism and so forth. And part of it was good, part of seminary was bad. But again, I was taught to look at the Bible as some sort of composite, more of a human instrument, it seemed to me it was, and it was to me, that the Bible was something more than a composite. It was the divine, holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. And he just couldn't get past that. And he says, as things went on, especially in school, he said, I think... As one professor said, and they were talking about the virgin birth, and in this class, the professor said, you don't need to believe in that to be okay. And this is a well-known seminary. Here's his take of that. Here's his, I want, to, I want you to hear what he said to this. He says, if we don't believe in the virgin birth, I mean, if we don't believe in it, what have we got? Without the virgin birth, there's no Christianity. The virgin birth is the incarnation of God that's completely fundamental. It's not incidental, incidental and it's not accidental. And then there's the kind of reasoning that this professor came back with him. And he said, well, he said it's only mentioned in two of the four Gospels. You see, you get the idea there of what people think of the word of God. I mean, how many times does God have to say something for it to be true? Okay? And then he comes back with this, and he said, he's only mentioned in two of the Gospels. So that means he wasn't mentioned in the other two, so maybe he wasn't born at all. See the logic? And then he goes on to say that the Gospel of John mentions nothing about repentance, so I suppose you don't think that repentance is, is important, even though it's a major doctrine in our, our belief. He says, but you see, if Jesus Christ were not born of a virgin, then he's a son of Adam, like you and I. And in Adam, unfortunately, everyone dies. If Jesus Christ is not born of a virgin, if he's not the son of God, then he has a sinful nature. And if he has a sinful nature, he's not sinless, right? If he's not sinless, he cannot be the sinless substitutionary sacrifice. If there's no sinless substitutionary sacrifice, there's no atonement. And if there's no atonement, there's no forgiveness. And if there's no forgiveness, there's no new birth. And if there's no new birth, my friends, we're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> That's what he wrote down. I'm telling you. He says, there's no hope. We're in a lot of trouble. There's no hope for us. 
And then he says, if you have questions concerning the virgin birth, it's because you have difficulty with the characteristics of the word of God. He he goes on page after page writing his thoughts about college and seminary. Now, most of you probably won't know him, but his name is Adrian Rogers. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's... uh, He is a um, great uh, preaching pastor and theologian. And he belongs to the Southern Baptist Church. And when he was coming up into the ministry in the Southern Baptist Church, all these people were telling him, don't put too much into the Bible. It's not really really a God thing. It's just there. They were preaching um, what we're hearing today, that it's all okay, we're all good, nobody's going to go to hell. God would not do that. And that's true, God would not do that. And in his denomination, the Southern Baptist Church, he wrote this in the mid-80s, and they elected him as president sometime shortly after that in the early 90s. They elected him as president, and he told them, you shouldn't do this, because I'm going to change things and get us back to God. And that's what he did. And today the Southern Baptist Church still has problems, trust me, just as all of them do. He said, we all have problems, but we, he said, we need to stay focused on God's word. And I don't know how long he was the president of the Southern Baptist. I think it was through most of the 90s. But um, they have changed their direction, if you don't know that. Their direction was going liberal, friends. And he said, no. God put him there in the right place at the right time. God has us in the right place at the right time. We're saying no. And we have to. Because the word of God is the most important thing in the world. He, he ran and raved about the virgin birth. I want to read um, to you this morning our scripture. Because the battle is so fierce. And it comes out of um, uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 1. Verses 18 through 25. Watch them with me, because we're going we're gonna to look at the same scripture next week and the week after. Um, knowing knowing that, um, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. It's talking about religion. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, for us, who through him believed in God and who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in in God. Now here's the verses that I like the best. That's that that strong, enduring word of God. Verse 22, since you, have been, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. We need to hear that. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. 
The grass withers and its flowers fall, falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And I hope that's what you've heard for the last five years. This is the word of God for all of his people. So today I, I want to talk to you and generally the strength that we need to grab a hold of. Um, that, that no matter what anybody says, I just cannot get away from the fact that God's word is inspired. I believe God's word is inspired. It was written down by a human hands, but guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. Now when I say that, I think that even happened. I, I don't put God in a basket and say, okay, you only did that 4,000 years ago. You only did that 6,000 years ago. You didn't do it here recently. But I think God did it when, he, when he, Eugene Peterson um, looked at God and said, can I put your word into our natural, our, our regular English language? And I believe that he looked at every one of those uh, scriptures in the original text and God anointed him to write down exactly what to say. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with, with time and distance and with, um, with, with the Lord anointing people. Uh, listen, um, Rick Warren, Rick Warren, I don't know if you know Rick Warren or not or his ministry and all that he's been doing. He serves a church of 30,000 people. He only sees about 20. The people that are his cohorts, his helpers underneath of him. He doesn't see those 30,000 people. Sunday morning, he stands up and preaches for an hour, an hour and a half, and that's all they see of him. But he has done something powerful. And he, I was, we were in a meeting one time with him, uh, pastors in the Beeson Institute. We were um, meeting with uh, mega churches and asking them how they did things and how it came about. Rick Warren says, I, I don't know why anything is happening in my life the way it is happening. Because I'm not preaching anything that you kids aren't preaching. We were all kids at the time. Well, I wasn't. But <laughs> He said, I don't know why God is blessing this. He said, if you listen to Billy Graham and listen to him talk, he'll say the same thing. He says, I'm not preaching anything that anybody else isn't preaching. But for some reason, God is blessing this. And I think the some reason is, is because they take God's word seriously. They don't him haul around and say, well, I don't know, you know, uh, you, you know, I have a problem with the whale thing. Because I think Jonah might have been my size, I'm not sure. So it had to be a big whale, you know what I mean? And now they're seeing whales that are huge enough to swallow me and two other people at the same time, for all the same size. So, you know, we, we limit God. We limit God because we don't take his word to, to our hearts and say, I... I'm putting my whole life right there. I'm putting my life right there. And, that, and these words mean something to me. And, and I'm glad that we're not in the Old Testament, the dispensation of law, because I'd be in a lot of trouble. I'd probably be sitting around with ashes on me all the time. You know what I mean? But here we are in this dispensation of grace because of Easter Sunday morning. And life is different for us, and we can take this New Testament and build on the Old Testament and see where God loves us without, a, uh, without any question whatsoever. I think if you listen to these scriptures that we read today and you digest them, and my friends, I'm going to harp on that one more time, I think we need to quit reading God's word just to read it. 
we need to digest it. And Henry Nowen said, I have a hard time sometimes getting past one word. One word. And he would spend days and weeks and months on that one word. What are you saying to me, God, that I can share to others about this word? Now, let me share with you this morning, just as an introduction to this, because I think it's what we need to hear that God's word is much more powerful than we can ever imagine. God's word is much more powerful. Did you hear that? Much more powerful than we can ever imagine. Much more stronger for us to walk with every day. Um, if we have a guide in our lives, it's God's word should be doing it. His power does three things for us in this scripture. The power of this word does three things. First of all, I think it, it confirms it's conceiving. It's conceiving for you and I. I think that's where we miss it. We, we, don't, we don't think that we, we, you know, I was conceived by Floyd Ellsworth Costello Sr. and uh, Louise Stanley. And they got together at a party, I understand. And three months later, my grandpa showed it up at my mom's house and said, you're going to marry this, or my dad's house, and said, you're marrying this woman today, or you're in a lot of trouble, and he had a shotgun with him. <laughs> so we have the same power of that, that conceiving in God's word. And if you listen to this, and especially in verse 22, if you li- or uh, uh, 23, if you listen to this, it's the spirit of God and the word of God that come together and conceive us as Christians. We can't be one without the other, my friends. It doesn't, and that, I'll tell you, if you're just talking about the word of God and not having the power of it and everything like that, we're talking religion. And religion is not what God wants us to do. He wants us to have the power of his word that's born in us because of that joint power, empowerment of the spirit and the word of God. When, when we take this, this text and read it and say, okay, I'm going to digest this and then see what it says to my heart and see what it says to my life and the way I walk and the way I live and who I'm about. It conceives in us something much more powerful than we can ever imagine. We can, if you listen to the text, we can learn to love in a way that God wants us to love. Did you hear that? But you can't do that until you're conceived. In God's word. And I think that's, that's our difference in our, our folks. We're all conceived, but some of us are still babies. And we don't grab a hold of it as much as we, we like. Let me give you another thing that the word is powerful at. Not only, I'm all over this conception thing, being conceived by God, to be in that new family, friends. I think also uh, you and I need to be cleansed. We need to be cleansed, and I don't mean once in a while, I mean constantly. Constantly, we need God's word to cleanse us. And that's what God's word does. If you don't know that, God, if you don't know that conception, that being conceived in, in God's word with the, with the word, the power of the word, the power of the Holy Spirit, then you're not going to understand what it means to be cleansed. And we're going to walk around not very good Christians because we're not cleansed. Now, I, I take this and, and look at this, 
And think of the Old Testament, and when we think how, how the Old Testament deals with the New Testament and helps us understand it, that in the Old Testament, there was a priest who would come in, and um, he would do ministry in the, in the temple. But before he walked in that temple, there was a great big laver, they called it, a great big laver that somebody put water in it and asked God to bless it, another priest. Every day they did that. Probably two or three times, because every time that priest walked out of that temple, whoever was leading that day, whoever walked out of that temple and walked back in, stopped at that lava and literally splashed water all over their arms and hands to, to cleanse them, to make them pure, to make them holy, to make them be the person that God wants them to be. That's, you know, that lava for us today is God's word. God's word is what cleanses our heart and cleanses our mind and cleanses our thoughts and cleanses our words and help us, helps us be that, that person that's born of the spirit and the word, that person who says they know Jesus Christ as the Savior. We need to be cleansed, my friends. God's word is where we need to do that. And, and again, if you want to take it, People, too many people are doing religion and not worrying about being cleansed. Amen? You get that? Okay. And the third thing, and the last thing, you know, it's always in threes. It's seminary, I'll tell you. God's word does nothing more than complete us. Now grab a hold of that. It's in, you have to read on in First Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You have to read on. Read on. Uh, being cleansed, by the way, is in, in 1 Peter 1, 22. Um, if you want to, to um, be completed in God's word, how, how? How do I get completed? And I'm asking Floyd these questions. I'm asking you these questions. How do we get completed? How do we find this fullness that God wants us to have? How do we get into this station of being mature? And mature in our faith and our walk with Christ. How do we do that? And many of us are looking in a lot of different places to do that, friends. We're looking all over the place. You know, we're looking for things of this world to solve that, to help us become complete to help us become full of who we want to be and to help us to be um, mature. You know, I, I, uh, I had a friend of mine, he died, but he was my mentor. And um, he was not only my mentor, but he was a lot of people's mentors. His name was Dr. Edward Beck. And um, we loved him dearly. And I would classify him as this person right here who was complete. He was, he was, he had a completeness about him that was unique. Now, I, I don't know um, Rick Warren that well, um, you know, but I, I believe he's complete too. But this guy... I spent 12 years with, close at hand, Dr. Edward Beck. And I got to see him and see what it means to be complete, to have the fullness of, of that marriage between the Word of God and the Spirit of God 
and to have a maturity that um, caused people, caused people, even though they didn't know him, that caused people to come and see him and talk with him because he had that maturity. I'm not there. I got probably 20 or 30 more years. I don't have enough time. I'm going to die before I get there, I think. And he would tell you that he's not there. Because it's always something that you have to work on. Every day of your life, you need to be cleansed to remember that you are born again by the Spirit and by the truth of God's Word. Listen to it in First Peter. You'll hear that there powerfully. How do we get that? Well, there's only one way, friends. Sue, you want to come up? There's only one way, friends, and that's by feeding on the right thing, finding the right place, and that right place is the Word of God. Feeding on the Word of God is so much more important than we can ever imagine. It comes out of Psalm chapter 27. If you want to write, write this scripture down and look at it when you go home. It's Psalm 27.4. Okay? Psalm 27.4 says, The one thing that I desire the thing that I want most in my life is to be in the presence of God, to sit at his feet, to behold his beauty, and to listen to him. And being in the, that's, that's where we find, in that presence of God, that's where we find that we are changed, that we are conceived differently now because of the word and because of the spirit. And then we, we, we probably walk in and sit down there and hear, hear God say to us things that help cleanse us and things that help us um, become complete and things that help us to understand what fullness is all about and to understand that if you listen to this scripture to understand that we need to move beyond our mother's breast milk. We need to be on, move beyond that and get into a maturity where you're eating um, a Big Mac. Or no, no. How about a moose burger? I had a moose burger this week. Oh, Lord. <laughs> it's all kinds of fun. Feeding on God's word is the thing, and, and we have to trust that feeding. We have, let, let, me, let me share it with you that I think the reason that most people don't, don't grow into maturity, don't feel that completeness, don't feel that cleansing, don't feel that, that born-again experience is because, simply because we think we need to understand everything we read, and we don't. God's Word is there for a purpose, especially when we need it. But if we don't read it, we'll never know that we need it. Listen to the power of God's, uh, God's Word that happens even yet today, I believe. Sue, would you read that? This is from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 12 through 17. Listen to the God's word. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What did you say, all? All. 
Are you sure it's all? It says all. Okay. This is the New King James Version. Okay. All, right. so. all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. For every good work. Praise God. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Sue. Now, I'm going to finish this up with one, just one little thought for you. Thank you, sweetheart, so much. Let me share this one last thought with you. I'm going to say this to you gently whenever I say in Psalm 27, 4, it says, the desire, the one thing that I desire. And I don't mean this to be judgmental, and I'm not pointing at anybody. I'm pointing at Floyd more than anything. I'm going to tell you right now, we do not spend enough time in God's Word. Do you hear that? I'm in God's word every day and I'm doing things in it every day and I still don't spend enough time. Did you hear that? Nobody has to tell me that. Nobody has to share that with, with me that you need to spend more time in God's word because I know that I do. And I think as a, as a general thing of Christians, we just don't... We, by the way, if you think you're spending enough time in, your, in God's word, come see me, please. Well, you know, I read the daily bread every day. Come see me. Come see me. I will help you. I will help you understand what First, uh, Second Timothy just said to us. That it said to us we need to be born again. That it said to us that we need to be cleansed. That it said to us we need to be completed and become mature. And we need to listen to God's word to help us. Help us become that mature Christian by feeding on his word. When I say that, that um, we don't spend enough time in God's Word, I want to share with you. I think we should have a Bible study every day of our lives. Where we're with other people every day, and then we'll be getting close to reading God's Word, but not, we're still not there. What I mean is this. I spend more time watching TV. This is a confession to you. I, I know that I spend more time watching TV than I should ever. Because all that time I'm watching TV, guess what I could be doing? You know what I mean? I spend more time fooling around on the computer <laughs> trying to get these pictures up here. You know, I spend more time doing that than I should, ever should do. My whole life is spent, my whole life is spent around saying, Lord, I need to have more of you in my heart than I did yesterday. And I think if we say that and really truly mean it and do it, we, we skip um, Vanna. Is that right? Do you know what I mean? We skip Vanna. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I got one last story, okay? This is it, honestly. His name was Frank. And Frank was a weird guy. Him and I, we became instant friends. And I was with him for just a short period. But Frank um, literally lived on the 11 o'clock news, Channel 5 11 o'clock news, not 8 or 3 back then. This was back in the 80s. But he lived, he, nothing in this world kept him. It had to be an extreme emergency to keep him from not seeing the 11 o'clock news. 
His life revolved around that. And at 11.30, he went to bed. As the process went through, and Frank was much older than me at the time. I was in my 30s. He was in his 60s, so he was really old. Now he's just a young guy, huh? Frank uh, came into the office one day and was talking to me, and he says, I got some news for you I want to share. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, I went to the doctor yesterday, and they found this great big mass on my back. I said, on your back? He said, what's inside? But it's a mass back there someplace. And I said, okay. He said, they told me right away it was cancer and that it was probably going to take me. And back in the 80s, remember? Today they wouldn't say that, but back then they did. He said, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, Frank, let's pray. So I, I said, uh, let's pray. And I got up and walked around, and I put my hand right where his, his uh, tumor was, and I said, Lord God, just take care of this. It was a simple prayer, amen? And I walked away. And then for the next couple of weeks at our Bible study, we prayed for Frank and uh, lifted him up. And he was getting ready months later to have the surgery uh, that they wanted to take this thing out of him finally. And, um, and um, they went to, he went to the pre-testing, whatever it is, and all that stuff, and um, did all the blood work and everything, and, and it all came back. And, and the doctor looked at him, he said, well, we're canceling the surgery. He said, what do you mean you're canceling the surgery? I said, he said, well, your tumor's gone. Amen? Now, Frank wasn't a praying person. And the only time he thought about praying was just before the news came on that it would be okay. So he came and he told me, he said, hey, I don't have to have surgery. And I said, why not? And he said, the cancer's gone. I said, praise God. And he said, I am praising God. And he changed his whole life that day. Changed his whole life. And he said to me one day, he said, uh, we were chatting and, and he said, uh, I need to do something more. I'm not doing enough. And I said, well, Frank, you, what he did, you know, <laughs> he was weird. What he did was he started going around to people and saying, hey, what can I pray for you for? Well, you don't do that. Because you know what people are going to do. They're going to give you a list. And he said, he said, that's what I want. I want a list. Give me your list. And these were all of his friends in church. Um, and, you know, three, four hundred people there. And, and he, Frank, became the prayer warrior for this, this church. And uh, he started praying so that he would be done at night at 11 o'clock. <laughs> and literally, he prayed for all these people, and he started at 9, and he started at 8.30, 8 o'clock. And because and, uh, he felt, well, he, he had experienced the power of prayer. Amen? So he came to me, and he said, I got a problem now. And I said, what's that, Frank? He said, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't have enough time for prayer. So I looked at him and I said, well, what do you do from 11 to 11.30? Do you understand what I'm saying? Here's his maturity. Here's his growth. Here's his cleansing that happened to him. He said, well, I guess I'm going to start praying. And I said, Frank, when you give that up, I think you'll have more power in your prayers than watching, praying and then watching, making sure you quit amen at 11. And Frank's life changed. I left Frank. I left Frank there in that church, large church, and I left him there. And years later, he called and said, uh, talk to me. And I asked him how he was doing. He said, well, I'm still praying. Do you know what's happening in the world? Because I don't. <laughs> I said, no, I don't either, Frank. 
And uh, he died. He died praying for people he cared for because the power, the power of God's word changed his life. And he became born again of the spirit and the word and was cleansed beyond his imagination. And it happened over a year's time, years and years. And one of the major cleansing was forgetting about the news. And he just kept growing in his maturity and everybody he talked with, he became what everybody said, don't let me become. He became a fool, a fool for Christ. Amen? I want to be a fool for Christ like Frank. Let's pray. God, uh, we come before you this this morning and we ask you to do that very thing. Challenge us. Challenge us in our hearts of how much time we spend in your word. The most powerful thing we can read and it does nothing but get dust. Lord, Lord, help us to have some red Bibles in our house, on our phones, in our computers, wherever it is. Help us to have those so we can get to your word easily and find you as our Lord and Savior. Help us to trust your word today more than we can ever imagine. Be with us in these next few weeks, we pray, as we study your word closely. Keep us strong, we pray today, Lord, and guide us and direct us and touch our hearts and let us know that you are right here with us, helping us on this journey. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. And all of God's children said, amen. All right, let's stand and sing my favorite.